All right, welcome back to the Brown Amps podcast. We are sitting sitting here and talking about um, gear in relation to how much money <laughs> has been spent on gear over the years. Uh, and I know you guys have swapped in and out, selling pedals, buying stuff, buying guitars. So if you're a listener and you're like, I don't have a ton of cash, but I really need reliable gear. I really need something that's going to work in a bunch of contexts. Uh, what are you guys' suggestions in relation to to what would you say to somebody who's like, yeah, I don't have ten thousand dollars that I'm going to drop on a bunch of gear. Um, so, what's some easy on, en- entry level stuff that you think would be helpful for? Well, I people. think it's actually, we were, like you said, we were talking about this before we even started this. And I'm really passionate about it because I used to think I had to have a certain thing to get the sounds I wanted or to write cool things or to, or to play musically. Mm-hmm. And just over time, realizing that actually what it takes to sound good and to write a musical part is really pretty accessible. Um, I played with uh, some older musicians and I would watch them come in, uh, one of my friends especially, he would bring in the weirdest stuff that he picked up at a pawn shop and by any metric that we would measure, you know, what you would post a picture of on Instagram, it was not that, you know, some $200 weird homemade guitar that he picked up and he just always sounded great. And sometimes he would play through a pod, um, no true bypass looper, uh, a one spot powering everything. And now obviously, does that present some problems with noise and different things if you're doing a record? Yes, like there's some of that, but no one really cared and he sounded so musical because he learned how to use what he had and take the recipe and figure out, you know, what does this guitar do well? What's that cool position uh, pickup wise or even on the neck and all that stuff. And so I think it's pretty uh, feasible. It's, it's possible to sound great playing an entry level Squire into budget pedals. I have thirty dollar DOD Absolutely. pedals, and so don't let that be something that you put off. Like, well, I have to wait till I have this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. I know. I mean, a lot of people that listen are probably listening to this podcast have interest in what we're talking about because you know they had enough money to buy a you know three hundred plus dollar dual overdrive pedal. So maybe you know, that may not be the target that we're going after, but I think it's important for people to hear from you guys, especially who have been playing for years, what, you know, what would you have started with? Because you're saying, like, you used to have a Squire. My first guitar uh, for my birthday, I found a photograph of it the other day, actually. Uh, my parents went 50-50 with me, and I saved up. I spent 125 bucks, and they matched it, and it was a PV Predator. And actually want to kick the guy at the music store because I wanted to get this other guitar. I forget what it was. I think it was like a one humbucker Fender. It was used. So they probably weren't making commission on it. And uh, he goes, you don't want that. That only has one pickup. You want this (laughs) other guitar. And now I just... (laughs) But yeah, like a PV Predator. And I, I would say whatever... I don't know what your thoughts are, Dave, but if you can get it to play in tune, yep, that's really the... Big prerequisite. <laughs> I, I had a Squire 2, 
which um, I still have this guitar. I'm nearly 100% certain that the body is made out of plywood. And um, it's not a good guitar at all. But I learned how to play so much stuff on that guitar. And I love that guitar. And it was great. And it was not ever the thing that was holding me back. Like practicing, you know, and uh, learning to be musical on what you had and learning to write good parts and developing your ear. That stuff's way more important than, you know, do you have the best possible guitar? And especially with that, you know, social media, Instagram culture, you can see all this amazing stuff Mm -hmm. that everyone else has. And it kind of creates, well, I need to have that. And uh, there's all the stories you can listen to with multiple artists. I can think of a couple different guitar players where other people pick up their gear and they play it and they go, this doesn't sound anything like them at all. Right. And they pick up the other guy's stuff and they sound just like themselves. Yeah. So just focusing on playing and the music and not needing a $300 plus overdrive pedal to do something really cool. I don't know if you know of any... Well, I'm not saying don't buy a $300 plus. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Overdrive Uh, pedal. (laughs) I'm saying if that's what you need in your life... sell it. (laughs) And and buy 10 of these. (laughs) If what you want in your life is a $300 plus dual overdrive protein pedal, I do know a company that can help you out. And it's a good pedal. It's true. It's a great pedal. It's a great great pedal. But, you know, if you have a... You know, Squire, Telecaster, or Stratocaster, and you know, put some good pickups in it, and go for it. You don't, you don't need a three thousand dollar guitar to write great parts to play beautiful music. And there's a lot of people that make really great music on budget instruments. And you know, I think, I think the the big thing would be like play what you have and practice and learn to get what's in your head out of your hands and focus on the tone that's coming from your fingers because that's a huge part of it. Would you say, is there any, you might know more technical examples than I would, but when you were uh, talking about the the squire being made out of, you know, probably not great wood, if wood at all. And I have with that, uh, what is that, a 61 Dano Pro, I think. Mm-hmm. And that is plastic or whatever you would call it. Masonite. Masonite. And I think uh, if I'm right, I think Beck is one of the guys that uses those on records, which was technically, that is a horrible guitar. Yeah. Technically. I love it so much. But (laughs) people seek them out. And so being able to find what something does good and making it more about having fun going, I'm going to find what this instrument does well and then kind of go down that road and see everything I can write till I can get something else with this type of thing. Like what can I do with that? Because um, I have to dial my amp in different. I mean, that one lip, lipstick pickup is definitely its own thing. So I have to tweak how I have my amp set and my pedals and all that stuff. But when you do that, it's really awesome. Absolutely. But I think there's a lot of innovation that's come from guys learning to work around, um, you know, shortfalls in instruments or amplifiers. I've got a, um, a, I don't even know what the brand is. I don't even know if it has a brand on it. I've got a, a, a Japanese guitar that's got gold foils in it that, um, you know, they're getting popular these days, but I had it years ago. And the bridge is such that if you bend the strings at all, they will jump right off of the, where they sit on the bridge and the guitar will go completely out of whack because it's got a terrible tremolo. And, um, but you know, I love having that guitar around because I can't bend notes on it. So I have, it forces me to think differently and play differently. And, um, 
be creative in that sort of way. So shortfalls in instruments can be bonuses, I think. I was listening, I think it was Tim Pierce. I have one of his like masterclass subscriptions and he's even saying, uh, I forget who he was referencing, but when you limit yourself, you actually can create more sometimes. So he'll try to approach a solo and go, I'm gonna play on one string. Hmm. What can I just do on one string? And it's gonna make me think really different. And just, yeah, changing it so it's fun. And then hopefully, you know, one day you can buy more things to have more fun with, but that you don't need all of that. But buyer pedal still, like, that's the one thing you do, <laughs> you do need. But, you know. Well, I was thinking about it as a songwriter, because I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a pro electric guitar player by any means, but as a songwriter, I know for years, one of the things we used to do to challenge the way that we wrote, I was working with a producer and we would just, try to find obscure instruments to write on mm -hmm. or different things to write on or take, you know, two strings off your guitar. And I mean, weird things that were like, just try to force yourself out of your norm of like, yeah, I've got this great acoustic guitar. One of my favorite acoustic guitars I ever had was like a cheap couple hundred dollar acoustic guitar that just played really, really well. And I wrote some of my best music on it because I just enjoyed playing that instrument, even though I have expensive other instruments that probably sound better. And so forcing yourself to find uh, the creativity with less, I think sometimes can be super helpful. Yeah. I love the different approaches. I think it's Jack White that uh, said he doesn't want his guitars to play good. He goes, <laughs> I want it to fight me a little bit because then you have to play the right notes because it's not really easy to play. Yeah. And then I remember some Eddie Van Halen interview where he goes, I don't want to have to fight my guitar. I did everything I could to just make it play as easy as possible. So right. whichever way you go, it's like totally fine, but it's possible to do it with without a whole lot. Just make sure that it's intonated as best as you can. That's, that yeah, is that's important. One, that it plays in tune. That's kind of like... <laughs> that's Does your good. instrument play in tune? That's Dave's advice for you today. Well, I, I would say, you know, if, if you if you have a budget instrument and you're, you know, longing for the day that you can go buy a Shure or whatever, you know, make sure that you've had that guitar set up or learn how to set it up so that it does play in tune because I think some of my biggest frustrations learning to play and playing on cheaper instruments were guitars that were not set up properly and they probably would have been way better had they been set up. Right. It reminds me of a Jared, uh, a producer, friend of ours, is a, a awesome drummer as well. And he said at music stores, uh, when he was working there, when he was younger, he would take cheap drum kits and put like nice heads on them. And he actually knew how to tune drums. Mm -hmm. So people would come in and want the cheaper one because just tuning it up and getting it set up right made it sound like a 10 times, you know, more valuable kit. Yeah. So some of those simple things are awesome. Is there any sleeper pedals? Because sometimes, you know, like something cheap will shoot up in value because it's used on some record, like those Dano 61 Pros or whatever. And really it's a bad guitar, but is there any pedals you can think of that are kind of have been used on records or that we wouldn't think that pro guys are using. I was even thinking about the Boss like G7. Oh yeah. Like EQ and you look and it's on every session player's board. Even when there's fancier EQs, yep. boutique ones, they just, I think I got mine used for like 60 bucks off reverb. Yep. I was like, this is awesome. This is perfect. It really does that thing. Just those few in the middle, you're like, yeah. wow. Totally make your, totally make your lead guitar line stick out because you bump the mids up a little bit. I, I don't know. I think like, a lot of the old Boss and Ibanez stuff is killer. 
there's so much great gear out there that can be had for little money if you, you know, just find a guitar shop that has lots of stuff and try a bunch of stuff out. Don't worry about if it's the cool hip thing. I mean, do people go to guitar stores anymore? <laughs> uh, I don't know about right now. <laughs> During COVID? Pawn shops. I get all my favorite stuff from pawn shops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like people have been avoiding those. So perhaps there is at your local uh, small guitar store, uh, you might find a whole bunch of stuff because nobody's been in there for ever. So there you go. I got my MXR, the original, I've sold it. But uh, whatever the David Gilmore, that compression pedal, right? Would that be, did he use a MXR Dynacomp old school one? I don't know who I'm thinking I'm of. I'm sure he did. Everybody but I got it at a garage sale from some uh, guy who's probably like 80 or 90. I pulled in and they had a bucket full of stuff. And I guess he must have played guitar for a few years in the 60s or 70s. And I'm just sitting there in a bucket and I got it for like 10 bucks. So pull into garage sales. <laughs> I, I think what Ben was saying about different uh, different instruments, different tunings, you know, I, I think of pedals the same way, like different colors of sounds inspire me to write. So I love having lots of pedals. I love interesting different pedals because they inspire me to write and to play. Um, and I think that's really helpful. So if you're stuck in a rut and buying a new piece of gear can get you feeling creative and, and moving again, that's fantastic. But, you know, that is not the same as I can't play good music because I can't afford good gear. And so I think that's kind of the point. Like, I love pedals. I buy as, you know, many things as I can that inspire me that I can afford, right? Yeah. But there was a lot of years when I had very little gear and I played great guitar and learned tons. So... Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite vocal mics is the SM7. Right. And it's not an expensive mic, um, but, man, the amount of times I've stood in front of the speakers and just tracked vocals, you know, in in the control room straight into an SM7 uh, over the years and then tried to do it in an isolated booth right. with, a, you know, thousands of dollars worth of microphones and you just go back and you're like, honestly... That SM7 just sounds great. And it's like finding what works. I think Bono uses, didn't he use a 57 in a closet when he does I his I think vocals? so, yeah. He like, yeah, 57, you can get at a pawn shop for like $40. But the worst thing is when I realized, because you always have things you tell yourself, that I wouldn't sound like the guitar players I loved because I had their gear. Because you always tell you're like, well, yeah, I don't sound as great as that person, but I don't have the stuff. <laughs> and then you get enough money to buy all the stuff and you go, oh, man, I actually have their signal chain for this. And then you play and you still sound like you. <laughs> so if you don't sound like somebody you like, Super it's Super depressing. Not, yeah, it's kind of depressing. But then you learn and move on and you go, okay, I have to play better, practice more, and, and worry about gear less. So would your advice to people be that uh, you probably should practice? Is that, is that some good advice? I don't want to be controversial here. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, learning your instrument is probably... Top of the list on um, before that's, buying a whole bunch that, of gear. I know, but it's hard because it's like Again, when, you, I'm not when saying, you feel bad and someone's like, well, it's because you don't sleep and you eat McDonald's three meals a day and you have five energy drinks. I'm like, yeah, don't tell me to live healthier. Like, tell me what to do to like, <laughs> feel better right now. <laughs> like, that's what this is gear. Like, yes, we all know what to do. But I drink the energy drink. I should feel better. <laughs> I should have energy. I cut down to two Big Macs a day. 
three Red Bulls. I don't know why I feel like this. My uh, favorite meal with my kids is to get the double cheeseburger meal from McDonald's, <laughs> which ironically is not cheap anymore. It used to be like I could take my kids, go to McDonald's, do it for like 15 bucks. You know, it's a cheap meal. You know, you feel terrible afterwards and realize there's no no nutritional value. <laughs> and but at least it was all. cheap. So you're like, well, we saved money and it was fun. Now, I, last time I pulled through, I actually was shocked. I was like, wow, this is like, how much did I just spend? The whole point was to not spend this much <laughs> money and have a cheap thrill. And it did not happen. <laughs> no, and the after effects the day after, you know, it's, that's, that's when you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. Shame. Do that in future. And yet, a week later, I'm driving bus at McDonald's and got my kids in the car and I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you know what we should do? Gosh, uh, so guitar players are just people that stay in childhood because we like cool sounds, cool looking pedals. But uh, then you start to realize how much of it comes down to all the really seemingly boring things. How hard am I pressing? All these things that aren't fun to talk about. It's more fun to talk about cool pedals. But yeah, you don't need all of them. Well, I think it's interesting to a lot of musicians these days who play in certain environments on a Sunday morning, especially, um, are playing to tracks where the tone of that track, you can literally, you know, be trying to mimic this studio recorded version of something that's just impossible to because right. the the signal chain on right. that guitar line isn't just your pedals; it's also running through it's you the know microphone and the, the microphone and, and the, the channel strip, right. you know everything else. That's and it's like you're trying to match that, whereas at the end of the day, you should be just trying to play the best that you can with what you have, and you know be thankful that you get to play music because a lot of people. Just don't get to play these days. We talked about it a little bit in the last podcast too, but our ears throw us off when we listen to records. Because uh, I had reference that you know, Rage Against the Machine. I always played with too much distortion, trying to do what they what they do. Because in my head, it just felt big. So you're like, oh, it's got to be more because it doesn't feel that big. But uh, at our studio, we have a few of the multi-track sessions for some different artists. Actually, one of them is Queen, and so we can pull up solo all the tracks and everything in between. And sometimes when you hear that stuff on their own, you kind of go, oh, like this that's is not what I expected. Yeah, this is not, well, wow, that's really bright or it's really thin. Mm -hmm. And so when you're listening to records sometimes and it doesn't sound like it, just know that the way we perceive it, where the bass is sitting, all that stuff, it makes it seem like something different because the whole picture is awesome. The way everything fits together is amazing. And so then you try to get it on your own and it's always underwhelming. So... I, I always know. think about that with, you know, anytime I listen to like Streets of No Name, you two, and that whole thing, you know, kicks in. And when you're listening, you're like, where's the rest of the low end on that song? You know, and it's like, well, obviously it was mixed for radio back in, you know, who knows, you know, the 80s. So it was, it's a whole different kind of mixing style than it is today when we have, you know, drops in so much music. But it's interesting when you, listen back to that and you're like, man, that was such, it's such a powerful song. It's such an impact on so many players. And yet when you listen to it, you're kind of like, oh, that's not what I expected. Well, the emotion of it is huge. And it almost makes the track sonically feel bigger. To, you know what I mean? Like it yeah. feel, it's such a great song. And we went and saw them live. And I remember when he did the intro to that, 
I think I put my fingers in my ears for a second. And then I was like, no, I'm just going to let them bleed because I'm here at YouTube. So it's great. But it was so bright. Like that guitar tone was so bright. If it wasn't the edge, I would have thought, why is this guy dialing in his guitar so bright? And it was beautiful. I just, you know, let, yep. let the marvelousness wash over me. But it's not what I would have thought. If that would have been my tone, I would have been like, I don't know, man. Does it seem bright to you? And all, but it was so perfect. Yeah. It's very interesting the difference between a guitar sound that you would dial in playing on your own versus the guitar sound that you would dial in playing with a band. And that's really important to remember. I remember, uh, you know, playing with bass players when I first started playing music with other people and, you know, them being like, turn the bass down on your amp because you're literally getting in their sonic space. Yeah. And so finding your live sound or your band sound is definitely very different than, you know, the way you want your twin reverb to sound at home. Well, that's a challenge for, you know, younger players who are still finding their space. And I think, again, going back to kind of tracks and playing with tracks, it can be deceiving because playing in a band, I remember, you know, touring in 1997 and 98 and with a band in Australia and, you know, it was... We were terrible. I mean, the music was not great, but man, just playing with a band created such a dynamic that I think is lost when you're just trying to play parts for, you know, whatever you're currently doing. Uh, you know, there's, I, I miss, we're talking about because we've, we've been doing some music together some uh, for some licensing projects. And it's the thing I miss the most, honestly, is the feel of people playing music together. We mm. did, so when Adam got married a few years back, or maybe a year ago, I can't remember what it was. Nine months? Nine months ago, Nine months. Um, we had a wedding band and all these guys from the studio and playing together, I remember singing like Backstreet Boys and it was so much fun. So fun. Because of the band dynamic, not because the songs were anything, but the band dynamic was so interesting. And that reminder of like, when you play music, it's so different playing by yourself mm -hmm. than what it is when you're playing in an environment. And remembering that your gear, uh, you know, because we're talking about what kind of gear matters, that your gear is less important as it is your ability to function in a musical environment. And I, and that's, it's interesting because it's so what we have to deal with, with, you know, social media culture, because records now sound so good. They sound so much better than they did, how, you know, however far you want to go back, even the nineties and early two thousands, that the disparity between, is that the word disparity? Dis, that's not a word. Disparity. Disparity. There it is. No <laughs> college education. Um, <laughs> Between what you hear on what we're listening to all the time, and you know they're not seeing the twenty thousand cuts we're doing right. and Pro Tools and all this finessing. So the difference between what you hear when you're playing live with your band versus what we're listening to every day on the radio, it's so much bigger than it used to be. Because there used to essentially be a lot of records were kind of live, essentially maybe tweaked a little bit or EQ'd, but. It wasn't that big of a difference. And now you just have to remind yourself, like I wouldn't want to listen back to a recording of what we did at the wedding. But that was one of the most fun times I've ever had because we were just playing fun songs and no one cared and it wasn't being recorded. And nowadays, most places, you know, even if you're playing at a church or you're on a tour, everyone's multi-tracking something or it's going out on a web stream. And so you always 
have that kind of future mindset and comparing it to records we hear on the radio. It's never just for the moment. Or back in the day, nobody was recording, you know, unless your mom was there with the VHS camera, nobody was recording your show. <laughs> so you could kind of be in the moment as a band. Yeah. And you didn't have to look at the Instagram perfect filtered face and compare it to myself at 6 a.m. in the morning, you know? <laughs> so what you're saying is get together with people and start a band. Yeah. What did Dave Grohl say? He's like, you have to go in your garage and suck for three years. <laughs> yeah. That's how we sit. Like, you just, just go be bad and play music with people. Yeah. And worry less about what's on your pedal board and worry more about, well, not worry about it, but be more intentional about learning to play with people and play the instrument that you have. I remember listening back to uh, Alanis, Mar- Mar- Alanis Morissette's. Alanis Morissette. We were doing that in the studio with Jared when we pulled Alanis Morissette's record. And it was such a brilliant record at the time. And it was, I mean, just so game-changing for the industry. But go back and listen to her vocals and how pitchy she is. Right. Um, and it's beautiful, but not this perfect. is... Yeah, but it was not perfect. But it was back when people, you know, we didn't have everybody playing or, you know, recording through auto-tune in the way that we have it today. And you go back and listen to those records and you're like, oh man, there was so much feel and so much emotion that I, that I feel like over the years is being missed because there's such a perfectionism about music now that that reduces its musicality because we're trying to make it perfect, not trying to make it feel as good as possible. Yeah, you well, lose a lot of soul when you, when you sp- play it enough times to play it perfect. Um, and your goal is to play it perfect, not to really feel it. Yeah. Well, and I was, you know, it's the, when we say bad, I always like clarify. Sometimes I say bad because I mean technically bad, mathematically bad. Like you were saying, you know, she's off pitch, but if the point of music or art is to get an emotion across, sometimes those rubs, those slightly Mm -hmm. out of tune guitars, like it adds, uh, there's a Daniel Lenoir song, Shine, and he's playing the melody. I think it's it's either on a bass or on like the low string of the guitar and he's playing the intro melody. It is out of tune. I mean, it's not like a chorus pedal. It's just out and it's so perfect. Yeah. Like it gets the, the feeling across. And I think that's, you know, at the end of the day, it's a constant reminder of going, yeah, do you need thousands of dollars worth of pedals on your pedal board? Well, yes. yes. Like we, we want you to have those because we I mean, like- I do. We, yeah, we want to feed our families. No, um, and it's great, but at the end of the day, the goal isn't how much money you've spent on your instrumentation. The goal is, you know, I've said this before, maybe, or unless it wasn't a podcast that we didn't use. Um, do, you know, it's not that what it looks like on the outside, it's how do you feel about it? Are you enjoying what you're doing? Mm. Well, it's hard. It's always hard to get perspective. When I first started mixing, I remember um, Jared would say, "You've been mixing for like two hours. Like you need to stop. Like I appreciate that you're working so hard at it, but you're losing perspective of the song." And they say that's even why we don't like ourselves in photos because we see ourselves in the mirror and it's inverted. And when we see ourselves in a photo, it kind of just strikes us as off. And everyone else goes, "You look fine. You look awesome. You look great." And even with our playing, we that's love... That's what you look like. That's what you look like. <laughs> no! Which, you know, then you have to take a minute and go in a closet, closet and cry a little bit. But um, 
that's it's so easy to love the vibe and other people's stuff. And then you overanalyze yourself to the point that you kind of take all that really fun personality out of your own playing. And I don't know what you th think about this, Dave, but I feel like I've spent a lot of money on gear, even the even the loopers, um, having you wire at pedal boards, having other guys wire at pedal boards. Not even for me, because in the studio, you know, we're swapping out pedals. I feel like I actually need less uh, really expensive like cabling and stuff in the studio because you're just swapping stuff out. But it's more just so that you can be um, consistent for an artist you're playing for because you don't want your stuff to go out. And you want to be bulletproof. Yeah, You want to be bulletproof. But that's where a lot of the money to me is spent. But when I'm just practicing or writing in the studio, just a couple pedals on the floor and sometimes I'll go direct into an interface. And I do love having something set up that's dialed because I don't tend to have tons of time to play music these days. So when I do find an hour to go play, you know, I want to be able to just turn stuff on and go. And when I don't have stuff hooked up, I find myself playing less than when I've got everything set up and ready right. to go. Right, yeah. But I think the point is don't be held back by um, the limitations that you have gear-wise because you can make great music with almost anything. Yeah. Yeah. And leave a guitar on your couch. When I started doing that, I practiced so much more. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, because it was what you were saying. You know, if I had to go get my guitar out of my Jeep or go, you know, wherever, because uh, you know, in the studio, yeah, a lot of doesn't times, leave a guitar in his Jeep just for. What no, it's I do. Worth. I do not. There's nothing in there <laughs> ever except for a security system. <laughs> uh, but when it was just sitting on my couch, I was like, oh, I come home from the studio. Might not even have to play guitar all day, but you just sit down on the couch for a minute, and it was just right there. Yeah, like make it easy for yourself. Yeah, I did the same thing. I put my acoustic guitar in my living room, and I got three kids, and that can be, you know, like, well, but I play it more if I see it, mm -hmm. and and you know, and it becomes more enjoyable as opposed to, you know, I have a old beat up piano that sits in my garage because we couldn't get it in the in the house. But I used to, I didn't care. At our, at our old house, we had it in the house, and it was out of tune most of the time and beat up, but I would play all the time because it was just there to sit down and play. Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, the enjoyment of it, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not a $20,000 piano. It's It was a $150, you know, find. And I loved playing it and I still love playing it. And so I'll just go play it in the garage now. But, you know, it would be much easier if it was in the living room. <laughs> Those are like the things I wish someone would have told me, like life hacks earlier. It's all the silly stuff. Like leave a guitar on the couch and you'll practice more. And you're like, what? No. It's like, but it's real. It's <laughs> real, yeah. It's like, I should have done this years ago. Don't you have a little, little, like a tiny little practice amp? I have a little USB, like, uh, what is it a Black Star? No, it's Nux. I think that company makes this little amp. It's like $89 and it has a couple channels on it and like, digital spring reverb thing built in and I slid it underneath the couch because it's so small so my wife doesn't see it and I just leave it on all the time because it's USB powered plugged under there and I have a little cable that's just like just below the couch cushions and my guitar sits there so if she's not there I'm just like click and uh, I remember a guy told me a while ago when obviously not for writing but for practicing he's like have a really bad tone when you're practicing so you're not kind of you know comforting yourself with that great filter <laughs> you yeah. kind of that slimming filter you know what you look like and so it works out great for that yeah 
Well, that's uh, that's it. Thank you guys for sharing some thoughts about music and thanks for inviting us. <laughs> We're in Ben's living room. No, this is just uh, it's not know, very homey, but the lighting is homey. nice. Yeah, that's it. Uh, we will be back on another episode of the Brown Amps podcast uh, soon. See you then.